So if you are a grandmother or a grandfather and you have your grandchildren and you are worried about them, this is definitely an episode that you shouldn't watch. Today I have spoken with Tabitha Dietrich and I have finally asked her all the questions that I never asked her or she didn't answer when I asked before. So Tabitha went for a vacation and she ended up in prison for two years. Before she went there, she had a successful business. As a result of this, the business basically crashed. What I find fascinating is that not only Tabitha made it through those two years, it made her stronger. And after she came back, she built, it, she built the whole thing all over again and today she's thriving. So, you guys enjoy? This is Tabitha Dietrich. So I've seen on your website and I've heard from you many times your experience about prison and being incarcerated for two years in a third world country, but I never really had an opportunity to hear the full story. Can you share, mm -hmm. can you share about that? How it happened and like the whole story behind? Um, so now it's 2020, that was seven years ago. Wow, that's really a long time ago. It was 2013. I was, how old was I then? 23? Yes, I was 23. And I went on vacation in the Caribbean, you know, Trinidad and Tobago. Yes. So that's where I went. And I spent an amazing time there. I really loved the islands. Although... It takes a little bit of like time to acclimate to like the culture and the island itself. But I actually really, really liked it. It's very different from like where we live. And I met some amazing people there as well. But some of the people that I met obviously were not so nice. Because one friend, one of the friends that I met there, it's like not really a friend, but let's just call it a friend for now one of the friends that I met there that I got connected with through a friend that I had back home, um, he hid drugs in my back. So when I went back home and I was at the airport, they, like I traveled from the Tobago airport, which is a really small airport. So you can imagine I was like waiting in line to check in, which is not like a check-in like we have here. It's like basically just well, you drop your luggage there and then they take it and put it over there and then, you know, it's going to be gone somehow. So anyways, they came in like uh, normal clothes, two people, I think it was a guy and a woman. And they came, they just put up their like table, like a folding table, and they just put it next to the line where everybody was waiting. And they were like, yeah, we're searching you guys now. So you, like they they asked me first, let's just have a quick look at your luggage. And then um, they were like, yeah, before we unpack all your things, let's just go into another room and go unpack, all the, uh, unpack your things there. So that's what we did. And that's how they found the drugs. Mm -hmm. And from there, everything was like happened pretty fast. I was escorted to a police station. And there you get questions. Um, and I stayed there for 
I think a really long time. I actually was then being put into a holding cell, which is like, you don't have a place to sleep. Um, you know, there is vomit everywhere. Mm. There is a toilet, something like a hole in the, in the wall, which is not really a toilet. I think you actually were able to flush it, but only from the other side. And the police officers were not really keen to just come and flush the toilet. So toilet paper was obviously a luxury. Were um, you traveling on your own or you were there with someone? No, I traveled alone. Okay. So I had, a, I had this friend in Switzerland and we were supposed to go together. So he canceled the trip right before I left um, and said, well, I have a job now. I can't go because I really have to start working. Mm -hmm. And then I was hesitant. I wasn't actually feeling like going there alone because I didn't know the country. And he was like, yeah, I know enough people there. You know, there are some amazing people who are going to show you around and whatever. You're going to have a good time. And I was really young. I didn't think anything of it. I traveled before. I traveled alone. So I wasn't afraid. But I think that was kind of how he set up his plan. So that when this other friend is going to hide the drugs in my bag and I'm going to come back home so he can get the drugs and he can sell the drugs. I so see. I see now. That, is, that is like the story behind it. And that is why I traveled alone. Because if we would have traveled together and we would have gotten caught together, both end up in jail. Mm -hmm. So the justice system, which is not really a justice system there, is like whoever gets caught with the drugs is going to be sentenced. It doesn't really matter if you're guilty or not, if you knew about it or not. They just want the case closed and be done with it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of how it works over there. And then right at that time when I got arrested, I was in remand to await my trial, my court case for a month. Um, and I had some time to investigate how the justice system there works, which is how I found out what I found out. And a police officer shared that with me as well. Like, it doesn't matter whether or not you're guilty, whether you knew about the drugs or not, whether someone set you up or not, you're going to get sentenced anyway. So the best way to get out of this is to plead guilty, because when you plead guilty, then they're going to give you hopefully a fine, which means you can pay the fine rather than spending the time in prison and go back home. Mm -hmm. And if you plead not guilty, usually the case is being adjourned for the next two or three years. You have to go to court every single month, which is like the woman's prison is on the other island, which is Trinidad, and the court was in Tobago, meaning you have to travel by boat. And you have to stay in several different prison cells. It's like a three-day journey each and every single time, which is really, really horrible. Mm. So you have to go through that every single month. And then usually the case is not going to be reopened for another two years because the system there is so slow. And they have to send the drugs to a laboratory so that they can investigate and like look at like the drugs and what it is and whatever. And then they kind of make their case. And depending on like whether or not they, the, the low, low court, I think that's how you call it. Yeah, high court and low court, whether or not they think like they can deal with the case, sometimes the case is going to be passed on to high court. 
nice. meaning that when there is a jury that decides over your case and not just a judge you usually get at least 10 years in prison for these kinds of things but if you plead guilty and you just have the judge decide usually you couldn't get more than five years that was like the legal like sentence the judge couldn't give you more than five years however mm. out of the five years you spend three years and four months you never do the five all of the five years you spend, spend two-thirds so right after i went through that whole procedure and then i got sentenced i got three years no fine Mm. Obviously, meaning that I cannot just pay a fine and go back home. I had to actually spend the time in prison. And I somehow got the only judge that does never give fines out of all the judges that you can get. That's wild. And I, I did fast for 38 days because that was how long from the first day to the court date itself. I fasted 38 days because I wanted to be in that high vibe state of like really visualizing and being certain that I'm going to get a fine. We can pay the fine. I can go back home. And I saw several women that had that same experience happen to them. So I was like, yes, of course, that's how it's going to be. And I'm going to get a fine. Was it a water fast or you didn't eat anything? Like yeah, yeah, I, I did a water fast. I that see. was like, I did not eat anything for 38 days. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a little bit of juice I had to put into the water for like to have a little bit of sugar, but I did not eat anything at all for 38 days. That was it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah and yeah and i was really really sure about that but that was like the lesson where i realized that when you come to that phase of your life where it's all about discovering your true life's purpose you cannot manifest with your mind or your emotions anymore and i was okay with that because the experience that i had to go through i had to go through and yeah, and that's what happened. So I spent two years in Trinidad in the woman's prison. And that was really, re I was really lucky. So I'm not looking at this as like a negative experience whatsoever because three months after I got sentenced, there was a massive drug war and a shooting at the airport itself. And they changed the law. And from there on, uh, low court could give you up to 10 years in prison so before it was only high court can give you like 10 years and more mm -hmm. and then afterwards low court so the judge itself could give you like 10 years in prison so if i would have gotten sentenced three months later or two years later if i would have pleaded not guilty for them to then you know yeah. go through this entire procedure I would have pro I would still be in prison. I would probably spend there like 10, 15 years or something. Wow. So I met women there that were in there for the same thing that were like, I plead not guilty. And I am wired like that. I'm like, I believe in right or wrong and I don't like injustice. But in that case, I was like, is either you want to get out of this hellhole and you make that possible and do whatever you have to do, or you want to be like, no, I'm fucking right. So I chose 
not to be right and to be smart, which is why I left and I left many women that I met there. I left them there because their case still didn't start. If you wait on a high court date for your case to start, you usually wait at least five years. So, and usually when it comes to like drug related cases, they just pass on that case to high court. If it's like, if it's gone through evidence and all that for like two years, they're just like, yeah, let high court deal with that because less work for them. Mm -hmm. And my case would probably have ended up there. So I would have spent at least five, no, 10 years. Wow. And as five of those years waiting to, to get the case started. Yeah. Is it that there is so many cases that it takes so much time or is it just on yeah. purpose bureaucracy? No, or there are a lot of cases and this, the justice system there is not really working as it does here. So yeah. um, that is the hardest part because when you're in prison, the only thing that is really important is like to have the time pass. And for the time to pass, you need to be occupied. If you're in remand awaiting your court case, you have no opportunity to work whatsoever meaning you're basically locked up in a cell all day long but when you have when you're sentenced you have like i got three years hard labor no fine hard labor means you have to work mm -hmm. and they pay you something like five cents tt dollars which is like not even money in euro currency mm. which is totally fine per day so i mean that was a joke but anyways what, what, were, the, what were the works and there are different positions. Usually, I mean, you clean, you maintain the prison and all the things there, but mm -hmm. there are different positions. They call them orderly positions when you have one of those, um, which is like either you work in, a, in the infirmary or, mm -hmm. or in the school, you can teach or you work in the kitchen. And because I kept away from everyone, I was like a trusted prisoner <laughs> because I didn't surround myself with all the the people, the women who are like up to all the crazy things were that were illegal in prison, you know, like phones and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of made my day and like established the kind of freedom that I was able to have inside of these walls. So I started teaching the juveniles. Um, I worked in I worked in the school. I was able to use a computer and write my books. Like I th thought about like, how can I be smart and like make the most out of it? And so I, I, yeah, I was doing that. And then I was able to uh, save all my things on a flash drive, all my books. I had to keep it in the, in my like officer's desk. I was not able or allowed to take it upstairs with me into my cell. But when I left prison, obviously I was able to take it with me, which was like, I got basically seven books written in two years time, which is really good. And I was able to work a, in the infirmary a, as well. That's a dream of any writer basically. Yeah, right. So I was like, I wanted to, I actually traveled there because I was like, yeah, I'm taking some vacation after working so much for like three years and I'm writing my books. <laughs> <laughs> and like, well, I have two years now to write the book, so my, I might as well make the most out of it, right? So that was my, my only mission was like, just hustle as many notebooks as I can hustle because only, like usually you're only allowed to have two notebooks and two pens. But because mm -hmm. I worked in the school, I was like, I'm a teacher and whatever, like, yeah, I'm allowed. I got permission for all of these things and I like, you know, like, you see my books, I didn't just have two, I had like 10, then I had like 
all of the notebooks. I didn't just have two, I had like seven or eight because I needed one for each yeah. book, obviously, right? Yeah. So that was really good. And that was like, I had those more trusted positions. So I worked at a school and I worked in the infirmary for the entire two years. Did you speak the language of the country? Yeah, it's English there. They speak ah, it's English. English. Okay. Yeah, yes. It's not Spanish. So that was really good. But I mean, their English is a little bit different. So after two years, you start speaking like a Trinidadian <laughs> person, which um, if I like really try hard enough, I might be able to come up with some of the words that they use. Obviously now it's not like my style anymore, but after the two years, they were like, yeah, you might as well stay here. You already sound like custom. Like, is, is it's not time like for a, me to leave. Is it not like a Jamaican accent like the rest of our... Mm. Yes, yes, a little bit like that. Trinidad and Jamaicans, they're a little bit different in the accent. The, the Jamaicans, they're even more like that lining kind of, you know, style kind of thing. Yeah. They're a little bit different though. I see. Wow, yeah. that's, that's really, that's really wild. A thought crossed my mind, like, be careful what you wish for, because you might get it in a really unpredictable ways. Exactly. So I kind of got what I needed, not necessarily what I wanted, but definitely what I needed. How much time did it take you to adjust the mindset from being, you know, because I can't even imagine what kind of shock it was to actually realize that you would be stuck there for two years. And as far as I remember, you already had a business going back in Switzerland, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I mean, that is probably, that was like the hardest thing uh, in the beginning, because I was like, well, first I was afraid that I'm actually going to get killed because I didn't know how the sentence w was going to be there. Um, because in Thailand, they killed you for these kinds of things. Like you get the death sentence, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't know about that when that was out of the way and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get killed. Like, okay, but I'm still going to lose everything because, you know, like who is going to, maintain my business my house like my car and all the things so I basically lost all the things that I worked for for the last five years and um, yeah that was hard in terms of like just accepting that fact in that reality that I'm not gonna see my family I'm not gonna see my partner I'm not gonna see my dog I'm not gonna see anybody I'm just stuck in this hell and it took me like I would say two or three months um because in the beginning it's not like you have any kind of mindset you just you can look at it as like there is a computer and the entire like all the programs that are running there are just wiped clean there is really nothing like i was nobody mm -hmm. it's like all your identity everything that i have been doing that i've been working for working with clients like all the things are just gone one day to the next and I basically questioned everything. I questioned everything, <laughs> the entire, my entire belief system, life, God, all the things that I taught my clients, like just everything. And I was like, I'm, I'm fucking done. <laughs> I'm done with this. Why am I even doing that? And I probably for the first two months, I literally cried for like five or 10 minutes every day when I woke up. Because like you're waking up in a place, I'm like, I don't fucking want to be here, but I still wake up in that place and I just have to deal with the fact that this is now going to be my reality. Mm. 
So I adjusted after two or three months when I'm like, okay, I have a plan. This, these are all the things I'm going to do. And then I got my work and then, you know, I got busy working and writing and all that. So I basically retreated into my inner world. And then I actually started to really like the fact that life is very simple and that, you know, when you talk about enlightenment and just living in the present moment, I got really, really good at that. <laughs> and a lot of the things um, that I was like teaching my clients, I was really able to like practice. I had to practice that under the most difficult circumstances to not be like, oh, I'm just easily projecting some things on the outside of like, oh, I'm feeling so bad because I'm in prison or, oh, I'm like, whatever made up stories that we have in our mind that we then like to project on our circumstances and just be like, you know what? You just focus on that one thing that you're doing now. You're scrubbing the floor as clean as you can. You're doing this as clean as you can. Just breathe and do the work and be in this very moment without creating a story in your mind, without worrying about the future, without thinking about the past. Mm -hmm. And that to me is freedom. So I wrote a lot about that in my book, which is only available in German. Maybe we're going to publish an English version. I don't yet know. But to me, I was more free inside than I was when I was outside in the free world. And that was like the mindset shift that I did or had to go through to adapt and to just retreat into the inner worlds and to not use anything that's happening as an excuse and that particular prison had like a way of slapping all the things that you know you probably were avoiding or trying to run away from right in your face if i was incongruent with anything just for a little bit <laughs> There was something happening on the outside that was like, you know, bringing it right back into my face. For example, um, there was, they had something called Bacchanal. That is like, they believe that is a spirit that just creates chaos. And mm -hmm. like when the spirit hits a person or an inmate, everything that they're doing is just basically creating chaos. And there was a lot of it. And... I mean, if you're there for two years, you know, you start wanting to interact with other people. But the thing is, nothing ever comes out of those interactions because it's just prison. And like that spirit basically was present everywhere. So it's like you're walking around, you can talk to people, but at the same time, you cannot tell anybody anything because you literally cannot trust anybody. They will use it turn it around and use it against you to get something out of you or then to accuse you of things to go talk to the officers that you didn't do to get what you have that they want to for example your stealing your yeah stealing your job or getting food of you like food is the currency there right mm. something like that and like i had to be so mindful of like whom am I talking to? What am I saying? What am I doing? Not like there is a temptation at some point where you're like, oh, let me just pick up the phone. I know this inmate has a phone to call my family, which I never did. But there was like this temptation there of like, I could have picked up the phone and just 
you know, called my family and got involved with those people, which always backfires because somebody is always going to talk and then they're always going to come back, look at you. And, you know, if you are doing anything illegal and they find that on you, you basically lose all privileges, which happened to the person that worked in the school before me. She used to carry two phones with her and she went up to the school to charge yeah. the phones. That's that, that, sounds she, like, that sounds like office politics on steroids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a military prison, so everything was organized military. Um, mm. So, like, that was, like, my, in terms of mindset shift, like, where I really had to make sure that I stay in integrity with my values. And I was always thinking about, so even if no one is looking, just imagine everybody would observe you and was looking, would you still do the thing that you're doing? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my answer to that, right? So that was a really, really valuable lesson to just stick with what I believe in, what I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and to not get caught up in those mind games and all the things and all the chaos. So when you have that nailed down, then I nailed down my exercise routine, which basically consisted of working out with water bottles because we did not have weights like guys when they have a, when they're locked up in prison they usually have a gym women don't have that because like women don't lift weights so we use bottles and our own body weight and i did that and then i basically had my routine figured out so i just like followed through on that which is really really important when it comes to anything that you're doing but especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and I think that's something that a lot of people are missing. And I mean, I, I talked about that a lot at the event. It's like you make a plan, you put it in your calendar, you stick to it, whether you feel like it or not. Because that is the power and the choice that you can make each and every day. That's the control that you have, is the control over yourself and the things that you do or say you're not going to do. And that's what I did every single day. And I just stuck with what I planned for that particular day and I just followed through. And that is really amazing because you understand or realize how much influence and power you actually have over creating your own reality and having control over the things that you can actually control, which is only yourself, right? You, um, I'm curious, you're very good in, in psychology and seeing patterns on people and helping, helping people to get the results they want. I'm curious when you look at the when you look at the inmates and the prisoners who went through their you know their incarceration okay versus those who went really like through through depressive stage or through like really who just did not handle it well what's the main what was the main difference between these two I mean there are the ones that stay there for life so when you're there for life even even if you manage to kind of keep your mind in a place where you're not incarcerating your mind and how like you operate you still are confronted with the fact that you stay in there for life so for these women that was like a completely different ball game and i was talking a lot with them for that particular reason because i wanted to kind of find out or figure out you know what keeps them motivated or upright 
and it wasn't really anything in particular they were just like the, all the things that i can do now were inside this place so they were really really focused on um, sometimes even controlling the positions that they had and the relationship with certain officers that they had and that they were so focused on controlling that like little bit of like world that they had inside of these walls and I always knew that I'm going to leave this place so I'm not going to be attached to anything inside of these walls that makes my life comfortable for example working in the kitchen to always get the good food because the food was more than horrible like I was lucky if I could eat one square meal a day that I could really eat, which mm. usually was lunch, um, because breakfast and dinner was just the bread that sometimes had flies in it that was like disgusting mm. and made me sick. So that was something that I focused on. So what I have to say, one thing for sure is like the length of time that you get to stay inside makes a big difference. And then obviously what you're doing with that time and it kind of comes down to the same thing. Just imagine who are you as a person? It doesn't matter if you're inside a prison or outside a prison. If you decide who you are as a person and you just follow through on like, I get to, to decide whether or not I'm thriving and I'm growing stronger and I'm getting out on the other side better than I have been before. And I stick to that decision and follow through. Or people who, again, use those circumstances and play the victim. And I, choose, I chose not to be a victim. And there were many, many inmates that just looked at it differently, like they were attached to their family. Then that is also dif difficult. Their family came to visit once a month. My family was at the other end of the world. Nobody came to visit me. So I didn't have a breakdown every single month when I saw my kids. I don't have kids, but like some women had kids and when they came to visit the kids were only allowed to visit on like um, a children visit day that was like two times a year but when their parents or their family came like they were like i'm missing so much i'm missing this entire life out there I see. and if you think about anything else but this present moment and what you can do and you think about the time that you miss and the things the opportunities that you miss that is like what is going to make or break you. So I just, I didn't even deal with that. I didn't think about my family, what's going to happen with them. Sometimes I did, which these were the time or the days or the moments when I like, I was weak, not like weak in terms of, but like where I, I, I let my mind play, play tricks with me. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe I'm going to get home earlier and I'm going to get the treaty and like, I'm going to get mm. out of this hellhole. Like these are the things that like your mind plays tricks with you if you open mm. these doors. And that really is all what it comes down to. And then obviously apart from that was some had physical illnesses. So if you don't get the right treatment for these things and you're in the hospital on time, you die. I, I experienced like, I think one or two women died when I was in there because of that and they didn't really die because of the physical illness they just gave up like prison yeah. was all they knew they were in and out of prison in and out of prison and they just gave up on like having a different life even if mm. they're going to be released like having a different life when they're back out there and i always knew i shape my reality no matter what's happening and if i leave these walls i have the exact plan in place what i'm going to do to do all the things that I'm planning to do and I'm in control of my life.
So I'm just using these two years as like the break that I need and write all the things that I need to write. And I just focus on that, what I can control and forget about all the things that are not in my control, which is basically everything else. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. Like in life, it's the same thing. You can't control other people. You can't control life. You can't control what's happening. You can't control how you respond to it. And that was yeah. all that I focused on what mattered to me. And that makes a big, big difference. Yeah. I really like what you're saying. And it reminds me of the, uh, the book Men's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I, I'm sure mm -hmm. you're familiar with it. He, I read that when I was like 15 years old. Yeah. And that book was like, I love that book. He describes the same dynamics in the, concent in the Nazi concentration camps. He, he says that the, the prisoners who gave up mentally very quickly got sick physically as well. Yeah. And they died. And yeah. what, kept, like, what, what kept those who did not give up from giving up was finding some deeper meaning in all that. Yeah, it, it sounds like like that's exactly what you did back there. Yeah, yeah, that's the choice that you have. And even if you, I mean, I'm a person I find deeper meaning in everything, but you can also strip away the deeper meaning and just take life for what it is, which is like I can choose what I make out of this situation. I can focus on the things that I can control right now, which is like whether or not I'm exercising my body, how I train my mind, and what I do with the time that I have. And that's all that you can control each and every day. It doesn't matter if you're inside or outside. So it's the same thing that I'm doing today, which to me is like the ultimate thing when it comes to freedom. That is what freedom is. Mm. Right? What, what, did you, what did it feel like when you were released? And what was the first thing you did? So I, that's the funny thing, you know, after I made peace with like staying there for two years and actually didn't want to sign the treaty, you can sign a treaty when the countries have like that prisoner exchange. And I didn't want to sign it. I signed it for my family um, and my partner because they wanted to, the hope that I'd going to come back home earlier. And that didn't happen. It took them literally two years, like seven weeks before I was released. Anyways, they came. And I already spent four weeks before that in like as a non-convict person in remand. So like I was there already two years. And then seven weeks before that they came and then I spent seven weeks in, in Switzerland in prison and I entered the prison cell and then she was like, you know, you see the bed, there is a table. Wow. You even have a toilet in the cell. What luxury, like you have the sink and everything and you have a TV. <laughs> and, I'm like, and then the best thing was, yeah. And if you need anything, there is a button there on the wall that you can press and talk to us in that, like, you know, down there in the office. I'm like, well, it's official. I ended up in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I mean, and then I spent seven days, seven weeks, not seven days, sorry. I spent seven weeks in Switzerland just in that cell basically like preparing my release and I had more access to things. So I was able to send out my essays that I wrote for like finding a publisher that is going to publish my book. So I just did more work. I, I rented a laptop and I just got all these things done. I did more work and I got that out of the way. And then when I was released after seven weeks, I'm like, yeah, this is great. At least now my family is waiting outside, like really happy and they're there. But I have to say, for me, it was strange because I'm, that is what people say a lot, like, you're not really an emotional person. I'm not. 
because of that very reason because like i was after that i was like my mind and my emotional state and my being was so strong i wasn't attached to anything like that could shatter me or like oh i'm just easily burst into tears so i probably was emotionally distant and all my like my family was crying and everyone and i was just like there so like hmm well here it's we are <laughs> right yeah so that was probably weirder for them than it was for me because i, I was just a custom i was fine with that i think for them it was much harder than it was for me because i made up my mind and they were worried because they didn't know like you know how i am how the conditions are there like they had all these horror stories in their minds and i tried to ease that a little bit of like when i was able to write a letter two a four letters a month like i tried to describe but they didn't believe me because the our government that is like usually dealing with these kind of things they made them afraid they told them all of the things that were not true of like maybe she's not gonna come out again and like all the crap stories so they were like afraid so when they were when i was released and they were actually waiting outside they were like yay we're so happy you know and it took a little bit of adjustment because then everybody has access to you again everybody wants to talk to you like you know everybody wants to come with their things and it, at first it was like way too much like information and overload if you have a really simple life and all you focus on is these things and then there is this entire like first world country things of like we have mm -hmm. everything and then we have all of these problems which like to me seemed like no problem at all because i was like well sometimes i didn't eat and then i didn't have water we didn't flush the toilets uh, sometimes i drank water that was brown coming back to like that like i i'm i can't get accustomed to that anymore i don't want to it was that strange is, to relate yeah yeah it was like you come from this world into this world which is why i left after two weeks part of the reason why i left switzerland after two weeks and then i moved to ireland and i didn't i didn't return mm -hmm. and since then i basically left and i still love my home country obviously and i'm not um, talking bad about anything but um i was just like i want to make more and give more um and be like more connected to the entire world so my heart is at home everywhere in the world and i don't have to stay here just because it's my home country and that was probably a big part of like why i left then plus in switzerland when you're like a prisoner an ex-con like you basically you're just an outcast in terms of society um that's it you know Really? Like, despite, despite knowing the background and having seven books? Yeah, it, even despite all of that, like there are some people that, you know, understand that and believe that everybody in Switzerland in the prison was like, everybody always says they're innocent, but you are the first person that we actually believe it's true. And I'm like, it doesn't really matter if someone believes me or not on the paper if someone does not know me like on the paper this is what they read and this is what they think because that's just how the human brain works so there is no need for me to justify anything or explain myself i can decide what i make out of this situation and where i'm going to be called to be next and that's what i did so i left
and I actually wanted to leave when I was 18 that was like then just for me like the final reason to be like okay now it's time to leave Mm. because now it's like I was gone for two years I don't even like know like the culture and the thinking and all the problems that to me are not really big problems I'm like just don't feel at home here anymore so I I need to leave now I see I left yeah it's too bad we're running out of time and I would love to hear more about what followed up because the next seven years were quite crazy as well right in a in a good in a good terms now. yeah the next it was actually five i spent there two years and then it was seven uh, years ago yeah. so the next five yeah so can you just share very quickly and feel free to feel free feel free to brag <laughs> and then <just laughs> share, share at the end what you, what you're doing right now and when people can find you and maybe we can we can just talk about these things in the next episode of course yeah i'd be happy to yeah, so I left, I went to Ireland, um, I started uh, my company again, and I mean, I've ever since I started when I was 18, I always had an online business, so I just basically did everything that I did the first time, did it all over again, and I just focused on, because I got locked up, and I basically lost everything, I was like, I need to do things differently this time. And I want to build a company that in case I die today or tomorrow, that can still exist. So my only purpose is like building companies like that, where you as the CEO can step away and the company can live forever. It's an immortal company, which is very different from what a lot of people are doing because a lot of people want to be in the middle of everything and control everything and want to have their name everywhere all over the place. I'm not necessarily interested in that. What I'm interested in is like, building a company that can test the, the, can stand the test of time, crisis, depression, pandemic, whatever. And for that, you need really, really great people. So that's what I focused on. And um, today we're like, I think over 20 people now actually have to go count again. We're always hiring. Today I hired another person for our company and we expanded onto, probably it's now in five continents, it's four continents. Um, in two languages, I published a best-selling book that I just knew I needed to publish. And I get to work with a lot of amazing people. But for me, it's not necessarily so much about like what I have accomplished. For me, it's all about whatever you do in life, whether you're building a company or when it's about your own life, if the foundation that you build that thing on is not freedom, that is not contributing to the planet, to life, to the life force itself, it's not gonna be sustainable. So that's kind of, in short, what we believe in, what we stand for when it comes to building companies like that. Because if I'm gone today or tomorrow, I want this legacy to continue to live on and to be a blessing for this planet and for humanity. And for that to happen, we need to have a different conversation around money, around success, around what kind of companies that we need, what they need to stand for and whatnot, which is why we are always looking to, and we're only supporting people and companies who give back to humanity, who give back to the planet to close that cycle and make sure that the life force is being nourished and there is no exploitation happening. All the things that we see around the planet that people, that make people think money is so bad it's not about the money, it's what you do with the money. So 
we believe in making a lot so we can give back a lot and that's what we help companies achieve as well and yeah and everything that we're working towards so kind of my position today is only making sure that all the people that are working for this company or for my companies i'm not even calling it my companies because i believe every company is its own creation but that all of these people can fulfill their best potential so that we can stand strong and give back in a really big way and for me that was like it's not only a dream come true it's like if i die today or tomorrow i'm not really ready to die yet but I can die and be like, I accomplished what I needed to accomplish. There is still so much that I want to do, but I wouldn't feel like I missed anything. So, yeah, so I'm really, really happy about that. And yeah, that's short story. Mm. I'm not good at bragging <laughs> <laughs> at Thank all. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Tabitha. Before we wrap up, where can people find you? Yeah, so. Yeah, so I mean, I have three companies, but for everyone that is looking to like master themselves, be the leader that they want to see in the world, or build a seven figure company without sacrificing their life force that really gives back in a big way and does not depend on the person to keep expanding, then you best check out pioneeru.com. For everyone that is already beyond that, that is just looking to expand into multiple businesses. Um, you can go um, check me out on Facebook and send me a message there. We can get in contact there and talk about like, you know, what the things are that a person wants to achieve. And we also have like, I have a personal brand website that is probably going to be up in one or two weeks again. We, I took it down for a while. It's tabitad.com. And then if you type my name into Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, you will find me all on, all on these platforms. So yeah, okay. that's, these are the main platforms, I'd say. Good. So thank you so much again. And I'm looking forward to the, to the next episode where we will cover, cover the next, the rest of the questions I wrote, basically, you only covered the first one, to be honest. Yay. Thank <laughs> you so much. Good. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Maros. <laughs>